The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this hour is Tom Cote. He is the Vice President and Head of 401Ks at Equus Capital. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thanks, Jordan. It's great to be with you. So let's start with a little bit of your background and history in the financial business uh, before you got into Equus Capital. Yes, uh, I started out in the financial services area uh, in the, uh, the late 70s and in the early 80s was part of the institutional uh, sales team at Fidelity Investors. We did a number of things such as putting banks on the discount brokerage business. We also did the early 401ks, which were structured much differently in those days. Uh, we were all learning uh, what it was all about. So it was sort of tantamount to Stevie Wonder teaching Ray Charles how to drive. But okay. uh, it is it has certainly grown since then. And uh, throughout my career, I've spent uh, quite a bit of uh, time in the 401k space. Also uh, have some background in uh, in some back office services and spent some time in uh, in Europe working there as well. And tell me about Equus Capital, which is spelled E-Q-I-S. When was that formed and what is your role there? Equus Capital was formed in 2007 and Equus is uh, what they call a, a, we're a money management firm uh, and we do only managed accounts that we sell through uh, typically fee-based advisors throughout the country. Uh, we invest directly into the marketplace as opposed to investing in mutual funds. Uh, for a managed account, we have on the taxable side a rather low minimum, a $25,000 minimum, which compared to many firms that offer managed accounts, uh, that's, that's quite low. Um, it certainly offers an opportunity to those folks who are in the area of accumulating assets to be able to uh, get involved in a, a true managed account environment at an early stage. Uh, on, the, on, the, uh, on the 401k side, uh, that's an area that I oversee. We have no minimums. And what we're bringing to the table is a managed account option that can be offered to any participant that's in a, a mutual fund, or I'm sorry, any participant that is in, a, uh, is in their plan uh, without any minimums. So, uh, but it's something that we, has to be picked by the employer. Is that correct? It's not something an individual That's right. Can, that's yeah. right. We have to be selected by the employer, but what this does is this really helps people, number of people, people that perhaps are extremely uncomfortable in managing their own assets, uh, whether they be taxable or in their 401k, and also for people that are just, quite frankly, too busy. They just don't have the time uh, to do it. So the managed account is a, is a great option for them. And it also can be offered in uh, 401k as an option in addition to other options. They commonly refer that to, uh, to that as uh, open architecture. So what kind of offerings do you have for people in a 401k? If an employer came to you and said, I'd like Equus Capital to manage uh, do you have stocks and bonds and mutual funds and ETFs? What kind of offerings do you have? What we do is we, uh, again, we work directly through advisors. And uh, we manage money. And in addition to managing money ourselves, we have vetted over 60 uh, independent money managers who have various disciplines. Uh, our advisors will select from uh, those 60-plus uh, managers and identify uh, who the managers are going to be for the 401k plan. Uh, at the same time, we administer a risk tolerance questionnaire to all participants in the plan to help determine what level of risk they are, are able to tolerate. Uh, when we do that, then we are actually investing directly into the marketplace rather than investing uh, in a mutual fund. So as a result, a participant in a 401k plan actually owns a fractional share of the actual security 
as opposed to a fractional share of a mutual fund. Puts them much closer to the market and takes a layer, uh, a layer out. Uh, both so that there are fewer fees. fees for the investor that way that more yeah, money exactly, mm -hmm. e exactly. Which is becoming, as you probably are aware, as your listeners are probably aware, becoming very much an area of focus. Uh, since in 2012, the Department of Labor uh, put into play uh, the uh, fee disclosure requirements, which are much more stringent than they were in the early days. So let's kind of take a look at the overall market for 401ks now. This really started as this kind of obscure loophole, I'd almost call it, back in, I guess, the late 1970s, I suppose, when it started. Right, right. Actually, uh, it, it sort of happened by accident, sort of the the grandfather of 401ks is a guy named Ted Benna, who I've met. And actually, when he tells his story, he sort of, he was an actuary who sort of fell into it by, by accident. But this, uh, this rather unknown fledgling uh, approach to saving for one's, one's retirement has now grown to the point where uh, currently, at the end of last year, there there's $4.6 trillion that are held in 401k plans. And it certainly is uh, a topic that comes up practically every day when you're talking with people, whether they're looking at it or not. It is just at the height of everyone's consciousness. And also, we're all concerned that we don't outlive our money. And so as a result, between the players that are in the business of selling 401ks and the participants who are just trying to ensure that they've got uh, financial security and retirement, um, we, we see something about it every day. So there's a lot of education out there about how to allocate your 401k. There are many, many choices. People have target funds, they've got growth funds, there's a national bond, all these different funds. What is your sense of people's confidence in their ability to allocate their money in an appropriate way at different life stages and risk tolerances in their 401k? Well, uh, you, you, it runs the gamut, but I would say, generally speaking, I run in more commonly to people who are very concerned and really don't feel comfortable uh, that they're able to make an informed decision. Um, part of the problem, I think, is that uh, there's still a lack, to some extent, of, of, of really good retirement education. Uh, educating someone on how to invest in a, in a mutual fund or an, an investment is quite different from educating them and how to plan for the future and set aside monies and also do so in a framework uh, that they're going to be comfortable with. So I think that that for the most part is is I think the greatest concern people have. Also um, on the advisory side, the intermediaries, uh, some are certainly in that business primarily to make money for themselves and in fact it's the basis for a rather uh, highly visible uh, situation we're going through now where we have proposed uh, rules for uh, what what fiduciary standards are, are all about and, and including IRAs. So with all of that, um, there's a big battle going on between uh, advisors who are commission-based and advisors who are fee-based. The commission-based are held to one standard currently the uh, advisor fee-based are held to another standard. Uh, and if indeed the Department of Labor's uh, proposal is uh, accepted, uh, the tipping point will be more toward the financial advisor, the fee-based advisor, who is obligated to look first and foremost to the welfare of, of their client. We're going to get into this in more great detail, but let's just get back to the 401k for a moment. So what for somebody who has got a 401k, who's got a whole series of choices, what is the best way to educate themselves about how to make the right choice? Uh, they may get a, a seminar once a year or something, but if they're serious about doing this right, what is the best way to educate themselves? I, I think the most individuals... Uh, with with a few exceptions, really need to partner up with someone that they can trust that can help guide them through all of this. Um, uh, there, it's a it's a complex area. There's a lot of noise in the industry uh, that can be very very confusing. 
Uh, as I implied earlier, uh, one is not necessarily certain as to what the motivation is of the person selling to them or why they're suggesting what they're suggesting. So I would say, by and large, uh, individuals uh, should seek out someone who they feel they can trust that is has a process that helps profile what their particular um, uh, 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 tolerance to risk is and uh, really, at the end of the day, uh, understand what their needs and objectives are long term. So I would say the best way is to find an advisor, that, that a third party that can help them. So say you get an advisor, um, you, you get your 401k through your employer, and the fees are kind of part of what you're paying. You're not paying an advisor explicitly. How would an advisor who's not going to get commissions on selling you anything in the 401k, he's not part of the plan, so he's not going to get ongoing fees. Do you pay him on an hourly basis, or how does he get paid in a way that makes sense for you and is worth it for the uh, employee? Typically, uh, an advisor, a fee-based advisor, will, uh, when meeting with the client, outline what the various services are that they're going to uh, be performing, and uh, they will... Uh, have a, a an explicit fee for those services. Uh, Fee-based, it, if it's commission-based, there are different ways for the commission-based person to be paid uh, that are somewhat um, uh, buried fees and and not always they're they're not explicit. Uh, for instance, uh, mutual funds do have a provision to reimburse an advisor, a third party. Uh, for the assets they, that they bring into their mutual funds. Uh, that's not commonly uh, known by uh, people without, that, that, that are not in the business, whereas an advisor who is fee-based, he is stating an explicit fee. And as I uh, counsel advisors, they should make very clear what those services are that they're performing for that fee and demonstrate that those services are being delivered. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Tom Cote. He's the Vice President and Head of 401Ks at Equus Capital. And we'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Tom Cote. He's the vice president, head of 401ks at Equus Capital. And their website, by the way, is public.equis.com. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Thank you, Jordan. So there have been some major changes recently. One started in 2006. We're going to get to some of the more recent ones about uh, protecting 401k participants and, and rule, new rules about sponsors. So let's go over some of the major ones. There was a uh, law called the Plan Sponsors and Participants Act in 2006, part of the Pension Protection Act. What were some of the major changes that affected the 401k market from that? One of the major changes, Jordan, was that they introduced automatic enrollment so that an employee uh, working at a firm would automatically be enrolled into their plan. I think it was found that many people, they either didn't have interest, they were afraid that they couldn't afford to be in the plan, and uh, and therefore um, the notion was that by having automatic enrollment, that gets more people involved and in a better position to help them help themselves. And has um, that fact worked? Have a lot more people been automatically enrolled as a result of it, that? I, I believe it has. Uh, and uh, it's still, uh, employees do have the option of opting out if they do not want to be in the plan. But by and large, those that have been automatically enrolled are, are in the plan. Uh, also, another important component was uh, the rules were expanded about disclosing pension performance, perform actual performance of the investments. Um, they also created what they call, and I only bring this up, don't want to get too technical, but they, they introduced what they call the Qualified Default Investment Alternative, or a QDIA. That was introduced in the event that uh, someone had... Uh, was in the plan and had not uh, elected to where they wanted their money to be invested, this uh, directs this into an investment that is considered to be a moderate to conservative investment, and at least it's putting their money at work. Typically, it's a moderate investment. Is that typically a target fund that they would do? It could be a target fund. It could be a a modified risk-based fund, but looking at it, you know, 60-40 equities to fixed income. Like an equity income balanced fund, something like balanced that. Balanced fund, exactly. Yeah. Now, then in 2012, so that, there were new rules on the Department of Labor on fee disclosure. What was disclosed after 2012 that had not been disclosed about fees before that? Well, essentially, they came out with a more definitive list of uh, what needed to be disclosed by what they call covered service providers, or many would, would view as, as vendors to a plan. And what that simply means is anyone that is providing a service to a plan and those assets, uh, those uh, services are being paid for by assets in the plan needs to minimally on an annual basis um, uh, disclose any fees that they're getting from the plan, both direct in which the plan is paying them for their services or indirect in which they may be receiving fees from a, uh, from a mutual fund or a record keeper. The whole idea is to make sure that, first of all, these fees uh, are exposed. And then secondly, uh, when a plan is uh, examined by the Department of Labor, uh, they want to make sure that the fiduciaries to the plan are, number one, aware of what their fees are, and number two, uh, that they have ascertained that those fees are reasonable. The Department of Labor is effectively saying, we just want to make sure that they're for the services being provided and the fees being charged for those services, that that there's parity there. That uh, it's not simply a way for someone to come in and make excessive fees for a few services. And, and what has uh, been the impact of that since 2012? Have fees come down or the disclosure changed the way charges happen? I think bit by bit fees are coming down. Uh, I think there's, there's more pressure. They have to be uh, revealed. And I think uh, the penalties for noncompliance are rather severe. And uh, unfortunately, the, those who would feel the penalties the greatest are not necessarily the service provider, but the plan. And the plan fiduciaries are responsible for, for that. So one thing I would like to stress uh, that when 
an employer is offering a plan and those who are fiduciaries to the plan, they need to take that seriously because the DOL doesn't care whether they're the CEO of the company or worth a gazillion dollars. What they care about is that as a fiduciary to the plan, that they're fulfilling their duties and obligations to the participants in the plan. Do you think fees were too high before this? And this is a a helpful uh, move. Well, again, nowhere has the DOL said that the that the uh, plan has to select the the lowest cost service provider. What they've said is that there has to be a correlation between fees and services rendered. Uh, In some instances, instances, uh, there were embedded fees that people weren't aware of, uh, and uh, it's understandable. This is, a, this is not a business that most people are in. So uh, you have people that I remember in many years past when, um, when uh, no-load funds first emerged, they were under the impression that their mutual fund didn't cost them anything which is simply not the case. So this is just heightening the awareness, and I think putting a little bit of pressure on the service provider to make sure that if they're charging a bit more money, that the associated services uh, justify that. And then there's been this whole fiduciary situation. So as you talked about before, there are two kinds. There are commission-based people and asset-based, asset-fee-based people. What That's, what is the proposed? There are, there are rules that are now in public comment period that would make everybody, in effect, a fiduciary. Meaning you have to put the client's interests first. What what impact would that have on uh, the kind of advice people can get with a four hundred one k's? Well, currently in under under, under present law, commissioned uh, advisors are held to a standard of suitability, and uh, that basically revolves around determining what is the most suitable investment uh, or management style for that particular investor based upon uh, some sort of measurement of, of their risk tolerance. Um, once that's achieved, it does not preclude the advisor from going out and choosing amongst the options that fill that category. Let's say it's a, it's a balanced type of fund, seeking out a, a a balanced fund that perhaps pays them more than another fund pays them. So that's a concern, that that's still, uh, that's to the detriment of, of the investor. That's one both, of the, Under existing law, both funds would be suitable, but one would pay a higher fee, and that's not something the client would typically know about, but it's a conflict of interest. The correct, and in fact, as you mentioned earlier, the fee base is held to the standards of, of acting uh, in the best interest of their client. And in fact, they're referring to this, to this uh, proposed uh, 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 change in the, uh, uh, in, in the standards as the uh, conflict of interest uh, uh, document. So as you're precisely right, uh, conflict of interest is, a, is sort of the crux of what we're looking at here. So the, basically, the way this was framed by the Labor Department is that a lot of people, participants in 401ks and, and IRAs and other retirement plans are being wildly overcharged by bad advice, by conflicted advisors who are recommending things that are in their interest, not in the client's interest, and they've got to kind of stamp this out. Is that kind of the way it's been framed? It is, and it's still going on. In fact, I spoke with an advisor this morning uh, who was looking at someone's IRA and was questioning me, and I couldn't answer it because I just don't know what the motive, I have a sense of what the motivation is, but this one individual, they've put them in one mutual fund, and they've got them into three different share classes, all of which have a different type of payout back to the advisor. And the one comment I'd like to make about that is when I first started in this industry, most uh, mutual funds had maybe one or two share classes. Now they have many more, and quite candidly, uh, those share classes were not ex- created uh, for the uh, ultimate benefit of the investor. They were created for the benefit of the intermediary in terms of how they are compensated for selling the mutual fund. Uh, since this rule was proposed, and now it's on the comment period, there has been dramatic opposition to it by a large portion of the financial services industry. What is their basic objection 
to having to be held to a standard of doing what's in the client's best interest. From what I can tell, one of the concerns uh, from the broker-dealer community, more the commission side of the community, is that this is going to raise their costs uh, to deliver their services, and that uh, that would have an impact on whether they would be in the business. It would have an impact on what they would charge their their, their customers. So. Uh, that's one of the arguments that I'm hearing. Um, Let's just stay with that for a moment. How would it raise their cost if they're doing what's in the client's interest instead of their own? Um, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what the what the logic is behind that. Uh, uh, Doesn't know. make sense to me either. So, no. Okay. Uh, well, as an aside, I, I I think what's interesting is it's it's really the Department of Labor and ERISA that's driving all of this. And personally, I believe that if one is handling uh, someone else's money. These standards, uh, you know, should be established uh, whether it's in a a, uh, a 401k or whether it's in a taxable account. So you and, are in favor of these regulations, then? Uh, I am. I am in favor of them. I think that I've I've seen many abuses in the past toward fees, and uh, I think that uh, we need to create a level playing field. And oftentimes, if you look at fee scales, I'll. I'll in the 401k world, a very large plan has the leverage to negotiate their fees down. A small plan does not. And they, and as a result, they're the ones that feel the greatest pain. So the people with the smallest plans typically have the highest fees, and they're typically going to be lower paid employees probably at smaller firms. So they're getting hurt several ways, you're saying. That's that's correct. And And that fee differential, when you put the multiplier factor in of, of 30 years of paying maybe a half, three quarters, or 1% more than you should be, uh, it gets very, very expensive. And that is all coming out of their retirement savings. Now, this is not, they're not regulating fees. They're just saying disclosure. And the Department of Labor is talking about uh, kind of incentives, incentives to put somebody in the lower cost thing because it's better for the client as opposed to a higher cost one, which is better for the advisor. Exactly. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Tom Cote. He's the vice president and head of 401ks at Equus Capital. You can find more about uh, Equus Capital at uh, www.public.equis.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Tom Cote. He's the vice president and head of 401ks at Equus Capital. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Thanks a lot, Jordan. Pleasure to be with you. So let's talk about the employee challenges of dealing with 401ks. The first big fear people have is outliving their savings um, because people are going to live longer and maybe they haven't saved enough. So how can somebody in the prime of their working life do enough, do the right things both in the amount they put aside and the way they do asset allocations to be more assured that when they do retire, they're not going to outlive their savings? Sure. Um, there are never any guarantees, but certainly there are some best practices. And I mentioned, as I mentioned earlier in the program, I think finding a trusted advisor to work with can be very, very critical. Uh, the, 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 as you know, in this industry, whether it's retirement or whether it's investing um, one's wealth outside of retirement, as we know, the two emotions are fear and greed. I would say in the 401k world, there's much more fear involved. And one way of doing it is, again, working out. I, I, I discourage people that decide how they're going to invest and what they're going to do by uh, talking with someone else at a cocktail party. Everyone has their own unique set of needs and objectives. And this is where an advisor can be most helpful in, in coming and helping them. Uh, and again, someone that they can trust. Um, another area has to do with when markets go down. Remember that this is a long-term time horizon. I see people who are probably not going to touch uh, their retirement money for 20 to 30 years. First of all, you don't, can't really touch it before the age of 59 and a half without a penalty. So don't treat it like, like this is money you're going to be using next week. I commonly will hear people when the market has been down substantially to say that their 401k has become a 201k. It's underwater. Well, one of the things that's occurring during that period is that through the by the virtue of the fact that they're investing every pay period, that they're getting the benefit of what we call dollar cost averaging. So they're owning more units of that investment. And even though it's at a lower price, that price will probably rise one day and you have the multiplier effect kick in. The people that leave their 401k alone, maybe make some minor adjustments, but leave it alone. Don't go to cash and lock in that loss. Those that, that leave it alone tend to rebound faster than those that go to cash because they're starting all over again and, uh, and effectively um, buying high and selling low. And, Is that what uh, happened during 2008? Did a lot of people panic and sell and go to cash? I, I, I've seen that happen. I've seen it in, in – I'm, I'm a bit of an old-timer, so I've, I've also saw it around 2000. I saw it in 87. It's, a, it's just a matter of people just suddenly go to a short-term uh, mindset. And I know it's hard. You know, it's an emotional thing, and to watch it go down is very, very difficult. But um, – I, as, again, as I've said, those that have st stayed the course, maybe done some minor adjustments to protect themselves, and maybe even structured uh, the allocations to, to, even though they're in a bull market, to, to have that, that downside protection in the event that market decides to not be a bull market anymore. Now, does it matter what age people, I mean, if you were 64, and 2008 hit, and you have a year to go for retirement, that's a different ballgame than if you're 44, right? So does it matter where you are in the life cycle as to how you allocate your assets? Well, I think what matters is what's going on in your life cycle. It's probably, although they've been extremely successful, the target date funds, they're predicated really on one component, and that's one's age. And yet I would submit that uh, a person 55 uh, doesn't necessarily have the needs and objectives of another person 55. They may have gone through a divorce. They may have kids uh, late in life that are going off to college. Uh, they may have suffered a bankruptcy. There could be any number of events. And I think predicating how allocations are made simply on one's age, I think, is very limiting. 
uh, for uh, individuals. Uh, but having said that, there's a lot of money that's gone into the into the target date. I, my contention is that maybe it's a little bit of a tendency to go into cruise control, and that can get very dangerous. Um, let's let's go to a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. Uh, we're going to go to a break right now and come back with Tom Cote. America Business Network. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Tom Cote. He's the vice president and head of 401ks at Equus Capital. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Thank you, Jordan. Good to be with you. So one of the things we were talking about was this risk tolerance uh, quiz, and people take the risk tolerance quiz, and when they're in the bull market, everything is fine. They say they're willing to take lots of risk, and when things go the other way, they all of a sudden forget all that. Uh, you talked about dollar cost averaging, but what are some other things that people can do to kind of offset that kind of emotional reaction to the swings in the marketplace? Well, first of all, I think there there's a lot of information out there, and I recognize some of it can be noise and confusing, but I think any effort made to try to better understand a little bit more about what's going on in the industry and in the 401ks, there's a lot being written uh, that are designed, I think, to help individuals better understand, even though, even as lay people. So I think um, the days of, of, of just sending the money over to um, a broker and saying, let me know when I'm, I'm making something, uh, are long gone. Um, I do think that uh, an employee, a participant, an individual should understand to some extent why their advisor is telling them to do what they do, or if they're doing it, to understand why they're doing it, why, what, what, what's behind that decision. And again, I would submit if it's because they heard a, a, a great tip on a stock or, uh, you know, the look at the markets going up, and we went through that period where people quit their jobs, and became day traders and 
thought it was brains, but it was the other bee. It was a bull market. Uh, those kinds of things. Um, markets are sensitive to the extent of being fragile these days. So I think, uh, again, as I keep harping on this, but, but, but affiliating with someone that you trust who is in the business and can watch on a daily basis is important. But also try to improve one's education as well about this and what's going on, uh, I think is really important. How important is it to rebalance one's portfolio and how often should you do it? Because if you don't change it and say stocks go up, stocks are going to become a bigger part of your portfolio. Um, so how should you go through the process of rebalancing a portfolio? Most programs, uh, again, have that ability to do that. And again, if you've got some guidelines established in through the risk tolerance questionnaire, what we actually do here at Equus is once that's been administered, uh, and we've identified which of five different risk tolerance levels the participant, the employee fits in, uh, then we actually generate what we call a, a proposal that outlines the allocations. And in effect, it acts as a personal investment policy statement for the individual. So now you've established the parameters and, uh, as, um, certain things happen in the market or with particular manager and all of that, it is important to, to, to keep it in line because, again, it's, it's the, the, the whole idea is to operate within those, within those established parameters. I do encourage advisors when they're working with an individual or even the individual to periodically retake that, that, that questionnaire um, because things change. Um, as I mentioned earlier, kids go off to school. Uh, maybe certain things have happened uh, that have impact one financially. Um, uh, it's it's always good to to uh, check to see how if you fall still in that same risk category or if things have, have changed. I found that many people think they're a particular type of investor, and then they take the risk questionnaire and they're surprised to find out that maybe they're not, based upon their response to the questions. Let's take a look at it from the other point of view now, which is from the employer point of view and somebody who is uh, kind of offering a 401k plan to their employees. What are some of the things that they should be doing better to make it more successful for their employees to have a decent amount for retirement? First and foremost, they need to appreciate the fact that if they are sponsoring a 401k plan, they are going to have some degree of fiduciary responsibility depending on how the plan is set up. Um, I was just at a meeting recently and an advisor was saying, well, they've worked with the company, but the, but the CEO really doesn't care much about the plan. And my response was, well, that's all fine and good, but it's not an elective. Um, they've decided to offer a plan to their clients. There are certain things that they have to do, whether they like it or not. And ignorance is not bliss in this case. So, uh, again, I think it's very helpful. In, in our business, we have record keepers and we have third-party administrators, and those are people that understand best uh, what those rules and regulations are and can provide some guidance. Um, there's also uh, some provisions out now that allow uh, the plan sponsor, the employer, to be somewhat protected. Uh, there's a term that people may, some of your listeners may hear, a 338 fiduciary advisor. That allows a firm to come in, and if they are acting as the uh, sole exclusive uh, uh, manager to the plan, uh, that that can mitigate some of the fiduciary exposure as relates to the investment that the individual, that the employer has. So I mean, my experience doing in doing this for a long time is that if you go and ask, like, the HR or the employee benefits person at a company, how should I allocate my money, they run the other direction because they don't want any liability whatsoever if something goes wrong. Have these rules loosened that up so that if they try to give some advice and something goes wrong, they're not going to get sued? Well, I, I'd like to think so, although I just recently was at a, Nash, a, a statewide conference for SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Managers, and I was shocked to see that in a two-day filled, uh, filled with a lot of sessions, uh, and these are HR professionals, there was not one session on 401k. 
So I think you're right. They they run the other way. Uh, there is concern, uh, and in all fairness to those who serve in an HR position, uh, it 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 is a full job. It is a full time job. And quite frankly, uh, when they take on the responsibility of overseeing the 401k, sometimes it is just overwhelming. So uh, it's an area that really needs to be worked on. Uh, uh, sometimes an HR uh, professional would just say, well, our plan is just fine. Well, it's not. And uh, oftentimes if there's a disconnect between how the employees feel about the plan and the employer is representing it. I will tell you this, that all it takes is an employee to, to uh, raise an issue, and that can heighten the awareness amongst the, um, amongst the Department of Labor. I'm not trying to scare anyone. There's just These are responsibilities that are there, and the only way they'll go away is if you don't have a plan. So what kind of penalties are there from the Department of Labor if they do not offer a good plan, not offer the right advice, not offer education, all the things we've been talking about, if they don't do it right, what kind of teeth does the Labor Department have to make it right? Well, first of all, uh, uh, going back a little earlier to when we were talking about the fee disclosure regulations, it, they're being held to make sure that they got the, the, um, the fee notifications from all of their service providers. If they have not, they've got to reach out to that service provider and get that information within, I believe, 60 days. If a service provider doesn't doesn't provide it, and they have been receiving fees from plan assets, uh, and they are unwilling to remedy this by issuing the notification, um, the penalty is that they will have to uh, return, uh, disgorge any fees that they've received since July 2012. They will also be subject to, I believe it's a 15% excise tax penalty. And if they still don't produce the notification, the employer will be required to fire them. And if the employer doesn't do that, ultimately what can happen is, um, is that the plan can be disqualified. Uh, another issue that can come up uh, for, the, for the employer is that the DOL comes in and basically says, well, you, uh, we, I know of an instance where uh, a firm, uh, a company, uh, when, when talking with the DOL, uh, was asked, uh, have you reviewed the plan? And I said, well, we're very happy with who we're with. We've been with them for 20 years. Well, the DOL basically then said that you have not fulfilled your responsibilities, even if the fees are reasonable. And as a result... Uh, they were going to be subject to a, a, a fine in excess of a million dollars, and this was not a big plan, in excess of a million dollars. And um, what happened was they, they hired a firm to come in and uh, forensically determine uh, whether the fees were reasonable or not. It turns out that they were, but at the end of the day, the company ended up paying about a hundred to $200,000 to be relieved of that burden. So it can get very, very expensive, and I'm fearful that for some of the small companies, uh, it, 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 it could impact their business and, and their existence. So, again, what, what are the other things scare that, anyone, but these are out there. One of the other things plan sponsors are supposed to do is offer financial education programs to the employees. Is that happening in a good way, or should employers do more in that area? I think they should do more in that area. In the past, they've relied a lot on uh, the vendor to come in and do that, but oftentimes those meetings are... Um, are conducted uh, more in a manner of how to invest more money in the particular investment that's in the plan rather than taking a look at the overall uh, welfare of the individual. One of the things that I really uh, like about the way our program is structured here at Equus is that it's delivered through advisors. And as I say to the advisors, I don't want you just to go in there and sell the investment side. I want you to take the 401k and put it in the broader context of the employee's uh, financial landscape, warts and all, assets and liabilities. Oftentimes, the problem is that the 401k is sold as a standalone product, and it's not put into that broader context, and I think that that's critical. And again, I hearken back to what I said earlier. This is a value that a, a third-party uh, advisor can provide. In summing up, we're just about the end here. We've got $4.6 in 401ks now. 
what is your long-term view of these, and, and particularly in light of these new regulations? Are 401ks going to continue to grow in a big way, or is this going to limit the growth of them as the main vehicle for uh, people retiring? I, I think that they will continue to grow. I think it's uh, what people have in the way of alternatives is not a lot. Uh, one thing that could impact uh, is if there's a major bear market or if we go through um, um, a, a period of, of recession. Uh, sometimes what happens is the employer uh, stops uh, offering a, mac- a matching uh, contribution. That During those periods, that sometimes can impact. But I think overall, uh, we will see uh, the long-term uh, future. It's, 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 uh, it's something that uh, just your rank and file, it's, it's probably the best way to help them help themselves. Uh, if left to their own devices, and statistics have borne this out, they will not save money. They just don't. And traditional pension plans are not coming back, you, you think? Well, it's very interesting. When we're in a down market, we hear about defined benefit plans, um, you know, being available. Uh, but I, I, it's very interesting. I just saw a statistic today that uh, the defined benefit plans, uh, a number of them are suffering from what they call unfunded liabilities, which means that they have an obligation when their employee who's in the plan retires to pay them, and they don't have the money to pay them. Very interestingly, in that, you know, much of what we're looking at has become politicized, um, the unfunded liabilities, the, the largest market, the area that's impacted by it, are the government-defined benefit plans. So yes. that's the other concern that I have, and this is not a political statement, it's just I'm I think that the importance of these plans transcends uh, it being a uh, a uh, reason to uh, to be used to when one's running for office. This, this is extremely important and, and really again transcends politics. I think. Well, basically, the message here is it's it's in your hands, employees, to make the most of your four hundred one k. Don't count on your employer to have a defined benefit plan to bail you out as that might have been happening in the past. And if you have good options, you can do it well. And if you don't uh, tend this carefully, it's kind of your uh, your fault that <laughs> you're not going to have a particularly well well funded retirement. Absolutely, I would say the things to think about in, in terms of the future: uh, implement a clear and participant friendly financial education program if you're an employer. Uh, seek it out if you're an employee. If you can't get it at your at, at, at your place of business, find someone who can help you in this area. Um, yes. Work with professionals that you trust. Um, adopt more innovative investment programs, uh, including managed accounts. Um, very good. We, we have to go to very we good. Have, very good. We we have to end. Unfortunately, uh, my guest this hour has been Tom Cote. He's the vice president and head of four hundred one k's at Equus Capital. Uh, their website is public.equis.com. Thanks so much. It's been quite an interesting discussion, Tom. Thanks a lot, Jordan. Again, we appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.